Hello and welcome to the Nourish Practice podcast, a podcast focused on all things intuitive eating, intuitive movement and helping you heal your relationship to food while moving away from diet culture in hopefully a nice relaxed way. There'll be a mixture of solo episodes and guest interviews. Any topics you would like included just send me a DM on Instagram at Nourish Practice and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Now this week as you would have seen from the title it's all about food freedom so if you ever feel out of control when it comes to food then I've got someone who can help you. Coach Helen Bennett helps people all over the world to stop compulsive overeating and build a truly relaxed relationship with their body, their weight and their food. Honestly when I reached out to Helen I was like there's no way she'll say yes but she was lovely enough to come on so I do hope you enjoy. We do talk a little bit about binging and purging so if you're not in a headspace to listen to that then maybe come back to it when you are or listen to another episode but so many nuggets of wisdom so do enjoy. Perfect so as always I do a little introduction a little spiel um, but it's amazing to have Helen on I'm very excited. Is there anything you want to say or you just want to say hello um, you're more than welcome but thank you for coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure Casey thank you for having me I'm so excited to get chatting to a fellow intuitive eater. Yes, we're going to have to start a club, we'll get badges or something. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> T-shirts. Um, so we've sort of got some ideas of what we want to talk about. So a lot of your like branding and marketing and stuff is about what you call the food freedom formula, um, which yeah. is a great name, I have to say. So I just sort of <laughs> want to start with, so big picture thinking as it were, what does food freedom mean to you? How do you sort of use it in your work? What is your sort of personal ethos with it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'll, I know what it means to me because I had this real moment of clarity um, many years ago when this whole journey of intuitive eating began. And um, I'd I'd struggled with bulimia for 20 odd years at the time. And I just um, a company, I'd say lost a company, but it failed. <laughs> and it was a really awful part of, you know, obviously I've just lost a business and I was sort of deciding what the hell I was going to do with my life. And I just knew I didn't want to start anything new until this raging, chronic, horrific relationship with food relationship. It was a disorder and really quite awful. I was struggling with binging and then compensatory over-exercising or purging just multiple times a day. It was completely out of control. And it wasn't like I wasn't trying to stop. You know, I think the people that listen to your podcast will understand that because it could easily from the outside look like something that was intentional but in many ways I felt completely out of control and every morning I'd wake up and think okay I'm not going to do this today I'm not going to do it today and then inevitably I'd lose control within hours or maybe I'd lucky and last till four or five o'clock in the afternoon and eventually a binge would start and then um, I'd be throwing up my food or trying to figure out how to run it off or something like that so it was a really horrific um, nightmare jail cell to be in and Anyway, so my business um, shut down and I was lying on my bed one day sort of staring up into the, the universe and thinking, you know, I want to I want to stop this. Um, and then I was sort of running through all the things I was going to try. You know, OK, right. I'm going to write a meal plan. I'm going to count my calories, you know, because I thought, well, the opposite to out of control was hyper control. Let's see if I can really yeah. this time I'm going to really commit to it. Right. Um, and I heard this little voice in my head just say, I just want to eat when I'm hungry stop when I'm full, let's not worry about it in between. So that's my definition of freedom. It was so clear. And the reason it stuck with me is because when I heard that little voice say those very simple words, I realized I wasn't doing that. I was doing exactly the opposite. I was trying to beat hunger, fake hunger, outmaneuver hunger. Um, I wasn't trying to stop when I was full. I didn't even really know when that moment was. Um, And I was worrying about it every second in between. So then I got this, I had this real, well, you know, if you think about it like triathlon and those are the three disciplines, well, how would you practice eating when you're hungry and how would you practice stopping when you're full and what would, how would you practice not thinking about something, which all sounds a bit counterintuitive, but I knew then I had to try. And to be honest, there was a part of me that thought, well, you know what, because of course I was petrified that if I actually listened to my hunger, I would just gain astronomical amounts of weight because, you know, at that point I didn't understand the difference between a binge urge, say for example, or just hunger and what that the yeah. differences were. So my obviously there was a fear inside me that if I just actually honored my hunger and ate what I really wanted, whether it was pizza or a salad, 
um, I would just balloon out of control. Um, and uh, so I sort of thought I sort of made a deal with the devil in a way. I thought, well, you know what? I'll give this a go. I'll really try. And if it doesn't work, I can always go back to throwing up my food, you know, because the thought of being overweight was so horrifying at the time. Um, but luckily, as I sort of began to play with the idea, and obviously I think I'd started hearing some stuff. I'd never heard of intuitive eating. I certainly hadn't read the book. Um, I wish I had. I wish that had been in my eyesight. I'm sure I would have just devoured it and started applying a lot of that stuff. So I had to sort of figure things out by making mistakes. Um, but I just really clear that that's what I wanted. And things started to change. And that's when I thought, I'm onto something. And I've, I suppose as well, for anybody listening, if they are struggling with something like bulimia, and they're also worried about weight gain, if they actually listen to their hunger, um, it was a slow, slow journey. You know, I didn't stop. I didn't just stop throwing up my food. What I did was I just went very slowly. And I thought, let's see if I can just do one meal. You know, can I just eat one meal in alignment with my hunger and fullness? And if the rest of the day was a disaster, so be it. But I would just try. And it was just a slow, slow move in the right direction. And what that meant was, because it was slow, um, I didn't gain astronomical amounts of weight. So I didn't have to ever really face that fear of mine. But of course, now I know in retrospect, it's because when we actually do listen to our bodies, assuming we're in a in a healthful body, you know, my body wasn't, I wasn't underweight at the time, I wasn't over my body's natural weight at the time, I was probably in my Goldilocks zone. Um, and I think I knew it intuitively. Um, and I just, um, you know, now I know that when you actually listen, your body's not trying to screw you. And so slowly, slowly, I began to develop the trust that it, even if a day I was really hungry, and I just think, Oh, okay, I'm still hungry, let me still eat. And I'd be so scared of what that would bring. But then, you know, magically the next day, I wasn't as hungry or I was fuller for longer or had more energy. And so I had all these lovely little aha moments along the way, but I had to make a lot of mistakes to get there. So a very long answer to the question was freedom <laughs> was just wanting to eat when I was hungry, stop when I was full and not be thinking about it all the bloody time and not be petrified of weight gain all the time too. And I yeah. sort of stumbled no, into that. I think it's so important, like, I always joke to people, I was like, I feel like I'm actively unmarketing intuitively yes. sometimes because <laughs> well people spent. go, just eat when you're hungry, like stop when you're full. And I go, no, it's it's a lot of small mistakes. It's finding what works. It, it's a process. It's not a, yeah. I'll wake up one day and bam, I know I'm hungry. Yeah. I know I'm full. Um, so I was like, it's I harder it. than it looks, which sounds really yeah. counterintuitive, but it is. And actually there are those, those small aha moments and they build up. Yeah. Oh, so it's so cool to hear that your experience has been so the same. It's not a surprise, but it was, it's just lovely when I hear it. And of course, when I see it in my clients as well, and they start to have these little, the same little ahas that I stumbled into. Oh, it's just delightful. But you're right. It's just this slow process of making lots of mistakes and going against the cultural norm out there, which has got even worse. I mean, this was this, I started this when was it 2016? I sort of started stumbling into intuitive eating. And, but, you know, society was not promoting that it was nutrition, this and sugar free that. And since then, it's become um, apps and all sorts of things that luckily, I've never, you know, got involved, I've never counted macros, I wouldn't even know how I've never done uh, my fitness pal, but because by then, I got the message that that stuff was going to make things worse, not better. But it was a slow process. And even along the way, it's, it's still a journey. You know, I don't think freedom's a destination. It's, it's a raising of a bar that you're just slowly improving all the time. And, you know, to be quite honest, this year, I'm very much feel like I'm, I'm crossing something that's been on my mind for a while, because I felt good in my body for quite a long time now, you know, legitimately, if I'm on the beach, or I'm doing whatever, I feel fine. Like, if I don't care what anybody else thinks, I'm okay with me. But I'm aware that I still and I almost want to put this in the past because I've had such a big shift on this in the last few weeks, even I was still feeling that if I could just lose a few more kilos, if I could just, you know, be a little bit different, then I would look better to the outside world. So I was actually okay with me, which was a huge, huge shift. But I knew that I was still there was this nagging desire, especially as I started promoting myself on social media, getting in front of the camera, putting my face out there, and my body. 
And last year I noticed that there was this like discrepancy between what I was coaching my clients with and believed in, but inside of me, I was still holding on this little nagging desire for that little bit of weight loss or just looking a bit different. And this year I really thought, nah, bugger that. I, I want to, <laughs> I want to work on that. <laughs> and you know, it's taken a while, but I can, I can suddenly feel this massive shift where I'm just getting to that real, I really don't give a flying, you know, fig about it anymore, but it's taken, oh, it's taken some work and really hitting up against some last resistance. So as I say, it's been a long journey and it's something I'll just keep working on uh, as I grow older as well, because, you know, we're aging. So even if I'm loving my body today, what happens in 10 years, you know, I'll have to do more work as I get older or something goes wrong, you know, and then I'll be back again going, oh, yeah, here we are. Let's cross this bridge. But at least the bar keeps raising and raising. So I really want to share that with anybody listening. It's not about, you know, as you said, I'll wake up and tomorrow I'll be free. <laughs> and there's no there. It's a journey and it's a great journey and things get stronger. And then you sort of fall back a bit and you come up again. And But, you know, I'm a far cry from the obsession and compulsion I used to wake up in every day back in 2016. And yet there's still things I'm working on. But I think that's cool, you know. Yeah, definitely. I'm the exact same every now and again. I'll catch myself and I'm like, oh, does this, not does this make me just disingenuous, but you get that sort of thing where you go, I'm coaching people on this. But then it's yeah. also talking to clients and going, well, I've experienced that and I've been in this for a while, let alone you're new. Of course you're going yeah. to experience that yeah, sort well of thing. Said. We're all still going through it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well said. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got so many questions for you. <laughs> I want to reverse the the order of the podcast. I want to I want to know how you started and what got you into this and the whole thing. But I guess we'll have to save that for maybe I'll have to start a podcast and then I can ask you all the same questions. Yes, please do. Well, I, I'm coming up to I think it's like 50 episodes. So I was like, so wow. one of my friends or family, I'll be like, do it with me. Do it with me. I get to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, then it's a deal. I'll have to do that then for sure. <laughs> so, um. My next thing, I have a lot of conversations with clients because especially in that crossover of like emotional eating and that link with a lot of them find they're emotional, they tend to binge eat. Mm. How do you approach that with food freedom and with your clients? Because emotional eating is such a big thing in itself. And I know it's something that people experience and often worry about with their eating. Mm. Um, great question because emotional eating is, I think it's just such a human thing. You know, of course we're going to find ways to soothe and calm and comfort ourselves. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the trouble brews when it feels out of control, um, or, uh, actually, no, it's just as simple as that. That's a full stop when it feels out of control and it becomes compulsion every time a certain emotion kicks off. Um, that's where it's troublesome, isn't it? When somebody feels they don't have a decision to make it just happens and they almost catch themselves in it and then have deep regret later. So, you know, I'm very open on social media and with my clients that I absolutely emotionally eat sometimes a lot less than I used to. And in certain circumstances, I just don't do it at all, but I'm a hundred percent open to the fact that if I'm very, very anxious, there's times when anxiety, for example, might have me lose my appetite. I don't want to eat at all, but there are times when I, I really get this clear, sense that if I could just slow everything down, have a really good meal, allow it to settle, I'll be able to focus and I'll be able to get on with my day. And I wouldn't necessarily have needed to be hungry for that, although often I would be. But a lot of the times I'm very clear that I'm choosing to eat a good meal because I mean, when we eat, it slows our heart rate down, you know, just it's it forces a slowdown. So it's a very powerful choice when you're using it deliberately. And of course, you know, I've done this for a long time. So sure, if I'm a bit full afterwards, it's not the end of the world because I would just won't be as hungry later or tomorrow. So I eat for emotional reasons and I think that's okay, but it's this awareness that's so important. And when emotional eating starts spiraling into binge eating, then that the ability to begin to key into what was exactly the emotion that kicked that off. What was I trying to escape? What did I really need? These are the questions that we get really good at asking, but we're never saying you're never allowed to eat when you're emotional. 
But getting the clarity usually means we start to actually meet our emotions the right way or in a better way and actually solve the real problem instead of just trying to escape and numb them. So one of the emotions I very rarely would ever eat on anymore would be something like sadness or loneliness, because if I eat and I'm feeling sad or lonely, it's, it doesn't help. Whereas when I eat for I'm feeling anxious, it actually helps. But that's taken a lot of slowing down and watching and being curious and open and playing and testing and trying different things. And I really encourage that with my clients as well is there's no shame. There's no guilt. You're allowed to eat emotionally, but I want you to choose it and then see what the outcome is. And of course, just by doing that nine times out of 10, you knock out the desire because when you give ourselves permission, ironically, then we're less likely to do it. <laughs> but what it actually does is forces us to go, oh, look, there's this pattern of one, two, maybe three emotions that tend to be the ones where I reach for food. How interesting. What is it about those emotions? And then it gets exciting because more often than not, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, um, when you start to really give those emotions a name, like for example, one of my sort of trigger emotions was disappointment. If I disappointed somebody or I felt somebody let me down, I noticed I would just run for the fridge, which is really interesting. Like why disappointment? Why not rage or, you know? And then it's so interesting because when you work it back, you start to see, oh, I can see where that's come from. And if there's an old story or there's some trauma or there's something around that, and then we can actually do the deep work of healing a lot of that so that we don't respond to it in quite such an aggressive, I need to get away from this feeling. So yeah, that's, I hope I've answered your question. It's a very, I mean, it's a big question because I don't know about you, but I often find it's the emotionally charged binges, for example, or even purges. If I'm working with somebody who's uh, throwing up their food, purging can be extremely a powerful emotional release. Um, those are, that's for me where the rubber really starts to hit the road with clients. That's where we find out what drove this in the first place. What are we trying to run from? You know, that's where we really start to meet, not the demons, it's a big word, but the real juice of the problem that maybe started the binge eating or the disordered eating, compulsive eating in the first place. Not for yeah, everybody, like, but for many. Yeah, and like you said, you get those little aha moments, like chatting to someone and she was like, I had that little moment of I went, oh, I know why I'm reaching for this. It's because mm -hmm. I, this happened earlier. And it's like, you, you're sort of going you've seen that you've noticed that and it's such a small thing they don't even sometimes realize that like, oh I thought I realized I'm eating because of this emotion earlier and it's like that is so important that you've made that link in your brain and actually then they tend to go I realized that I wasn't hungry I needed this mm, that exactly. self-awareness grow yeah exactly right yeah because when we can actually meet our needs sometimes it's just about acknowledging that the thing that used to scare us or the story we used to carry is just no longer relevant, we can actually let it go. Um, so disappointment, for example, was this feeling of, I'm not enough. Like if I've disappointed somebody, then I'm not enough. And if I'm not enough, then I'll be rejected. And of course, it's no longer true. <laughs> it might be true. But you know, I'm an adult, I could probably handle it. Um, but once I realized I was like, Oh, oh, well, actually, that's no longer the case, I can, I can do the work on really letting that go and just doing a bit of self soothing in those motions. But for other ones, yeah, we've really got to dig in and figure out what's driving them. But it's 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 so valuable because then you can actually get your needs met. Emotionally, yeah. finding the way to release them, all of that stuff. It's all nuanced and different and everybody's got their own little set of things they'll need to learn and improve and work on. But that's so powerful. And you know, I wouldn't wish disordered eating and certainly not an eating disorder on anybody. But the work that it's forced me to do and I'm sure you'd agree. It's it's like, I mean, how, I'm about 100 million percent happier as a human being because I'm being forced to do this deep work. I'm being forced to, you know, look at look at my past. I'm being forced to uh, improve my way of dealing with emotions and express things that I would have maybe suppressed. And it, I mean, we just improve our lives to such a huge degree because the disordered eating was so, in my case, so chronic that I had to. It was that or just have this nightmare for the rest of my life. So I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I can be grateful for the journey that it's taken me down in order to do the healing as long and frustrating and bumpy as it was. Yeah, definitely. When I chat to people about even just intuitive eating, I, I sometimes you sort of go, I don't even know how I first found it. And like tracking back and thinking that headspace I was in when I first found it and where I've come. And like I said, mm. the amount of 
things you have to address, emotional things, your outlook on stuff, your relationship with food, family relationships, how you deal mm. with emotion. So many aspects you have to really look at that simply doing the traditional, I'm just going to count calories and do this. You never would address that stuff. Yeah, it's so true. And in fact, it just, that's all just symptomatic, isn't it? So when people think, oh, if I could just count calories, they're kind of missing the point. And so often I see this, I've had a lot of people reach out to me over the last year who've quit drinking, for example, and now they're suddenly binge eating. What the hell's going on? Well, chances are, it's this exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? It was the underlying stuff that was driving it in the first place, driving the drinking. So now you've taken away the thing you were using to cope. Oh, shit. Well, of course, you're going to bump to something else. So we have to do the work. It forces us to do the work. But calorie counting, all it does is like manage the symptoms instead of dealing with the underlying cause. Definitely. I was going to say that brings us quite nicely onto my sort of, uh, next thing. So I know you talk about the food freedom formula. Again, love the name. And you've got the sort of four stages. Um, how did you come up with that formula? Is it when you use quite a lot of that formula with clients? Is it sort of a framework that you'll base things off? How did it all come to be? Another great question. <laughs> um, to, I'll be 100% honest. Um, I've been wanting to write a book for I don't know, like four years. And I did a book writing course. And um, one of the things we were doing was sort of coming up with the titles. And, and I knew I wanted to write about the work I was doing. And also put what I was doing into words and, and try and find ways to help people who'd maybe never get the opportunity to work with me or whatever the case may be. And um, the food freedom formula was actually a title that when it jumped up it, into my mind, it, um, it I just loved it as well. So I'm so glad you like it because I'm still writing the book and I'm quite I'll, determined I'll to the finish book. it. I'll order the book. <laughs> well, you probably won't need it because you bloody know everything in it. Because, you know, we all speak the same language. I mean, you'll have a laugh at this because now I understand that the intuitive eating was um, was uh, come into being through Dr. Evelyn Triboli and uh, Dr. Elise, I can't think of her surname, who wrote the book, Intuitive Eating. Um, but the first time I read Intuitive Eating, I'd already been coaching for a few years and I'd actually been designing a course for people struggling with bulimia and I'd called it the 12 skills or something. I'd come up with these 12... Uh, practical skills that people could use to beat bulimia, essentially. And um, I had, I laughed because I read the book. Well, I didn't laugh. I was thrilled because I read the book Intuitive Eating while I was building that course. And I was like, oh my God, their 10 principles are basically identical. But of course, they say it so brilliantly. And I almost thought, I don't need to write the book now. These guys have already done it for me. Um, but oh, where was I going? Oh, so the food freedom formula was... I loved the title, it just landed, but it also what it was, what it did is it forced me to go, if there was a formula to this, what would it look like? And of course, having done the work with the 12 skills for the bulimia um, clients I was working with, um, there are such clear uh, uh, and consistent, what's the word, like similarities that one could generally apply to anybody who was struggling with bulimia and they would make progress right now i'd always recommend working with a therapist a nutritionist a dietitian or coach who has an intuitive eating background because otherwise you know we've i'm sure you've had this a million times people come to you and they're like oh my doctor told me to go on a diet you're like oh, if only your doctor knew it just made it worse you know but when i was like right I've got this 12 skills for bulimia. How would I use those to help somebody who is just struggling with compulsive eating, uh, snacking, and then binge eating? And of course, the food freedom formula works for bulimia too, but there'll be a bit more nuanced stuff for bulimia as well. But it was really, I spent months, Casey, months basically going, if this, if this was a formula, what would it look like? So the book kind of reversed engineered itself, or the four principles reversed engineered itself out of the idea that if there was equation, what would it be that could be consistently applied to everybody? And I spent ages on it. And eventually, um, I don't know if I woke up with it in my head or it just sort of all clicked that really there were these four stages. Um, and we can dive into them if you like, but it actually worked that it was a formula. So accidentally, the word formula really did work because what I realized is we don't get away without doing all four pieces of them. 
it's not like we can just do three out of the four th things and then we'll have food freedom. We actually need to be working the intuitive eating, uh, listening to our hunger and fullness. We need to be working the mental. You've just mentioned that. And we need to be working the emotional. So there's those three, but then we also need to then be getting through the suck of the dopamine urges as well. So some of it is just habit. You know, some people have done all the therapy. They've done all the reframing. They're in a good place in their head, but they're still overeating or compulsively eating. Chances are they've just got to get through this process of sitting through the suck. And I think that's what that book, what was it? Brain Over Binge. You know, that's almost an entire book on the neurobiology or the neurochemistry of getting through those intense cravings and that it is just a neurochemical uh, setup and our job is to get through them but it's kind of pointless if we haven't done all the other work because then we might just bounce to another addiction or another compulsion to escape the emotion or escape the, the thinking or whatever the case may be so um i cannot remember your question but that's <laughs> the sort of freedom formula <laughs> No, that's great. That was my question. Was just sort of how did you build the formula? What it was based uh, on. So it started off as a book title, and then I reverse engineered it. But it turned out to be really good. <laughs> it turned out to actually work. So that was quite fortuitous. No, it's always great because, like you said, I remember the first time I read the intuitive eating book. I was like, "This is amazing!" All the rest, but for a lot of people, they find it quite theoretical. Although the book is quite practical, because you're yeah. saying things like sit with this, listen to this. They just want to hear, like, write this down and it'll work, or because that <laughs> yeah. work is a bit more nuanced. So having sort of actionable formulas where it's still got the nuance, but it's a bit more people can see this and this and this equals this, um, yes. I think is super helpful. Yeah. I love that you've said that because that's exactly, if anybody's has been struggling with this and they're sort of doing all the work and then they, out of the blue, the binge, the binge kicks in, they could easily take the formula and go, right, which part of that it was something that needs work where, you know, is there a skill that still needs dialing in? Which part of that was the bit that tripped me up? Was this just habit? And then I, and I needed to just sit with it. Was it something I thought? Was it something I felt? Or was it, was I restricting again? You know, those are sort of four very simple questions one can ask. And I always think of the formula. So the formula is basically four things. I call it reconnect. That's re-listening to your body's hunger and fullness, which a lot of people will have to learn because they've been overriding it for so long, their hunger and their fullness. They can't feel those signals. Um, and it can take some people a long time to actually get um, good biological feedback again and really know what hunger feels like for them. And that's okay. You know, we just, we play, we try and slowly over time, the body gives you real clarity. So number one is reconnect. It's really reconnecting with that inner, uh, what, uh, the intuitive eating book would call that introceptive awareness, that ability to actually hear what your body's asking for instead of what your head's trying to tell you. So that's reconnect. The second bit is it's rethinking, like rewriting the programs in our head. So what are the thoughts and the beliefs that maybe driven me to diet in the first place? What are the thoughts and beliefs I have around good or bad foods? And we do a lot of work there. And then the third bit is what we've just spoken about is that emotional component. It's release. We get really good at allowing those uncomfortable emotions that maybe we want to run from really come up and just be and let them run their course. And sometimes we can do stuff to help them run through a bit faster. But it's really that allowing of the emotion instead of pushing it down, trying to escape it, trying to suppress it. And then the fourth piece is really that sitting through the, the dopaminergic suck fest. So reconnect with your hunger and fullness. Start to question the thoughts that might be driving some of the um, compulsion, because half the time, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but oftentimes people will realize that it was their thinking about the chocolate that drove them to eat more or drove the binge urge. And then the third one is that emotional release. And then the fourth one is um, getting used to sitting with the discomfort of the urge to eat. You know where it came from. You know you've got to sit with it. And if you do that long enough and you're doing all this other work, those urges will eventually just stop, stop coming up automatically in response to a certain set of triggers. So the, the formula works because you do need to do all four and very quickly, you can kind of look at any scenario and go, oh, that was an emotional trigger. Or, ah, that was a thinking trigger. Oh, I was restricting again, or no, it was just five o'clock. And that's what I always do at five o'clock. 
there was no emotional, there was no trigger. It was just habit. And I've got to sit with that urge and uh, until it passes, which is not fun, but acknowledging it's not fun and acknowledging they're going to come is a good start because then we realize I'll just have to do some more of this and then they'll get less over time. And then slowly you'll go, you come home at five o'clock, say that was your normal binge time. And you go, huh, didn't even have the desire. Didn't even happen at all. But that takes a, that takes a lot of work in, and practice to get through. Yeah. So and I also think awful. I was saying to someone the other day, like there's so much benefit in acknowledging sometimes that it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Go, oh, everyone tells me it'll be better. It'll be this. But sometimes you just need someone to sit there and go while you're in it. It's not going to feel great. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to feel properly awful sometimes. And so I used to just say to myself, well, if it's going to suck, I may as well just make the most of it. You know, can I put some music on or, you know, if it's going to suck for the next hour. I would find it harder sometimes just to sit with fullness. You know, you can imagine mm -hmm. for somebody who'd been used to being able to get rid of that feeling and had such negative associations with the feeling of fullness. Um, you know, I'd just be like, well, it is what it is. Let's just make it as enjoyable as possible, you know, put on some comfy clothes, get the music going and, you know, just find a way to make the suck suck less. And, oh, the urge to try and run it off or get rid of it. And, oh, it was huge. But you, what I loved about that book, uh, the Beat the Binge book, is she really does make it so clear that just because you have the urge to do something doesn't mean you have to give in to it. I think the added piece to that book is, if you haven't really done some of the work to heal some of this stuff, you might end up just swapping out one problem for another. So we can't just get through all the urges. It's not enough, is it? We've got to get through urges. Yes, they're going to suck. Yep, make them as good as you can. Yep, they will bugger off. Yay. And all this other work is really powerful because that's what makes it stick. And that's what makes it likely that you won't then just swap to becoming, you know, gambling a gambler or whatever. I mean, legit, I was working with a, a girl and um, oh, she started started shoplifting. <laughs> so she stopped binge eating, started shoplifting. I was like, okay, well, we're doing something wrong. We have to dig in. What is going on here? So she was just finding another way to meet that kind of emotional need when she wasn't using food. So that's why it's so important to do all this other work as well. I don't think we can minimize it. Yeah. So that sort of leads me really nicely into sort of Last question I have is what is what are some of the most standout things you've taken away from helping so many clients? So anything you see quite a lot or that you've learned from them? Oh, there's so many things. It's hard to know where to start. But I tell you what, the thing that's really standing out for me at the moment is um, it's just so sad to me because I've worked with I've met a lot of people and I've worked with a lot of people. Beautiful, incredible, amazing women in all different size bodies and shapes and all the rest. And they all think they're ugly and fat. And it's just devastating that we live in a society where all these incredible women reach out on a phone call and they hate their bodies. And then ironically, they often feel even more shame and guilt and self-disgust because of the behavior of binging or binging and purging or whatever the case may be, losing control. So there's an added insult to injury and half the time the, those feelings of guilt and shame drive even more of the behavior. But the devastating piece is that we're living in a world where perfectly good, healthy, healthy, happy men and women are sort of reach out to, and not everybody does this, not all of my clients started with diets or restrictive eating, but I'd say 90% at some point thought their teenage body or their 20 year old body or whatever it was just wasn't good enough. And they went on their first diet and it's just devastating and we've got to change that you know what i mean that's why we're here <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes it is um especially i i'm not on like TikTok or anything but the more i chat to people and they're like oh i saw this trend or this trend and every time mm. i just go oh if i could go back and or somehow i i know i chat to people about like we need it in schools or some sort mm. of way to to get it out to more people i i hear that intuitive someone actually phoned me the other day and said intuitive eating was on radio one and got really excited on my oh, behalf divine. It's, it's making its way out there but it's it is fighting such a wave of, of diets and everything else that yeah. it, it is quite difficult yeah and culturally this feeling of um 
I mean, social media, we all know, and we've heard this a million times, but of course it is the highlights reel. You know, we forget that that is just people showing, oh, I'm guilty of it too. Nobody's seeing the days that I wake up and I'm feeling low or I don't feel like doing my yoga or, you know, the day that I ate a bit much and I had a big, you know, high in a belly for three hours because I, you know, it's like nobody sees that. Nobody sees the fears that I have and the, the mistakes that I make and all of that stuff. They just see me doing my, you know, it's good stuff and it's all... um uh what's the word i can't quite find it but it's it's crafted to look a certain way now this year i'll absolutely be leaning into being a lot more raw and vulnerable and showing the kind of messy side of ourselves and i would encourage everybody to but in that world you know everybody doesn't matter really who we are if we're engaging with social media and we're seeing this relentless highlights reel of course there's a sense of oh well my you know i don't have enough i'm not good enough i'm not and we just, as you say, the, we're in the space of kind of trying to swim against a tidal wave of not enoughness promotion or pretending. And you know, I've worked with uh, a few people who've been in the media and one in particular comes to mind and very well known, huge number of followers, um, you know, the kind of name that I'm sure anybody listening to the podcast might even recognize. And, you know, she's working with me for a reason. She doesn't feel enough. She doesn't feel beautiful. She doesn't feel thin enough, you know, and it's, it's, we, it's, we've got our work cut out for us, but it really does start with us, doesn't it? It starts with us saying, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to own the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and I'm really going to embrace it, you know, not apologetically. It's just, this is me today. And some days I'm looking and feeling great. And some days I'm not, and I'm cool. Like that's life, that's normal. But it's a hard thing to do because nobody wants our friends and family and the people who follow us to see the bad sides of us. It's a very natural human instinct to only show the good stuff because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be judged. We will be. So we've got to work cut out for us on that on that front. Yeah, definitely. I know it's something that I used to film in or like Instagram I used to be it has to be this this and now I'm like mm. I'm just gonna talk to people or I'm just gonna if anyone worries too much about the way I look it doesn't matter but someone might find it or might hear it and that's the important thing yeah yeah I have to do the same thing get my head around that on the days when I'm holding back because of I don't know I've got a new wrinkle or something <laughs> you know it's I really have to get you know give myself an ego check and it's hard because every time, you know, every now and again, I do the stats to see what's landing, what's not landing and blah, blah, blah. And you just see all the un unfollows, you know, I see all the follows. That's lovely. But I can also see all the unfollows. I'm like, what did I do on February the 7th that had everybody <laughs> unfollow me? You know? And it's very easy to get caught in that little, um, little painful sting of rejection. But I think on the other hand, um, putting myself on social media is conditioning me and I'm enjoying this, even though it's hard. It's conditioning me to be okay with rejection because as you said a there's somebody out there who might need to hear what you have to say so get your ego out of the way and get yourself out there and b the people who left once all the unfollows have unfollowed the people who are there listening are my tribe you know they're the people who accept me exactly as i am if i'm showing myself exactly as i am they're the people who dig what i got to say and it didn't matter if it's a hundred or a thousand or a hundred thousand that's the tribe, man. Those are the people who love you. And you know they do because they've seen you at your worst. That's powerful. Yeah. yeah. And I have to say, I have social media and just like chatting to people. I'd say like this year, I obviously, like last year, I think I started the podcast and just have met so many amazing people and very supportive people. If I hadn't put myself out there, I never would have even crossed paths with. But by reaching yeah. out to people or putting stuff online, it's an amazing community of people that never would have tapped into. Yeah, it's true. Because once you break those kind of barriers and you start to realize that you being you um, actually does have the power to attract, you know, new cool people into your life that you absolutely adore. Um, it's a virtuous cycle, isn't it? It starts building you up because then you get. Yeah, it just it actually makes all the work we do even more firm and strong because we not in danger of rejection and in fact we're actually getting something really beautiful out of it which is meeting even more awesome people you know just like this conversation how cool is that and so now you know what else are we going to bring into our worlds just by being brave enough to put ourselves out there 
exciting. But boy, it takes pushing through that barrier of fear of rejection and on multiple times. <laughs> you know, it's not a once off like freedom. It's not, ah, oh, right. I never worry about what people think. No, it's a daily practice of noticing that I'm scared or noticing that I'm worried about what Joe blogs that I don't even speak to anymore might say, you know, or somebody I've never met versus actually just focusing on the part where it's like, oh, I get to meet and interact with all these new cool people. Yeah. Go us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard. So that brings me <laughs> nicely <laughs> on to, um, we have what, I call it like the quick fire finish, but always with the caveat of people can go into as much detail because I always ask favorite food and it's, it's amazing how many people say their food and then the memory associated without even ever sort of not being asked. It's just, it is so ingrained. So I say to people go into as much detail as you would like, um, cause people have different justifications or equally, if you want to say my favorite food is this because I love it. Absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> With that one, well, my favorite, favorite favorite food. I love that. I mean, I actually don't know anymore, which is so funny because I think in the past it would have been I would have there was so much I was restricting on that I would have been like pizza or something just because I could never you know I felt like I could never eat it. Whereas I've given myself permission to eat so much, and I was a chef uh, on super yachts for years, so I got to create and eat and taste so many glorious foods to the point at which it all just becomes food you know like whatever I can have yeah. it if I want so I really had to think about that because I knew you were going to ask and um I realized that the, if I had to I was thinking about it yesterday I was like oh, if I could have just one last supper meal what would it be and I struggled but then I came up with one I used to work at a restaurant in um in South Africa called Ildapan and it's a glorious restaurant and they had a burger on the menu which I don't think I ever ordered probably because I was restricting back in the day <laughs> Um, I probably always wanted one and looked at it wistfully, but never ordered. <laughs> but anyway, um, when I was a chef, I, I bought both of her books and because I used her books to make a lot of the food on the boats. It was so tasty. And I eventually made the burger recipe and it's so simple. And she has a, a tomato salsa that goes with it, which is full of all sorts of delicious spices and herbs. And it's just so good. And I thought to myself, it would be that burger. <laughs> homemade with the homemade salsa and a sesame seed bun hands down <laughs> so i appreciated the question because i wasn't really sure but it's so funny because i realized years ago i would have i would have had 10 favorite foods and all of them would have been on the list of things i thought i wasn't allowed to eat you know such so, so sad but hey you've come a long way what's your favorite food Ooh. Again, it's it's one of those, if you'd asked me years ago, I'd have been like, this is this. And now I'm like, I eat most of my favorite food very often. <laughs> exactly. So they're not that exciting anymore. How ironic. <laughs> but like if you every had to time pick, I pick one, to someone, gun, gun to the head, what would it be? Um, I'm a big pizza fan. That is my go-to just because we used yeah. to have like pizza night at home. So it'd be like, we're all going to sit around and eat, yeah. eat pizza and chat and things like that. Damn, the Italians got it right, eh? Because pizza would have been up there for sure. <laughs> proper oven, not oven baked, like, um, what's it? Uh, in the proper oven, pizza ovens with the smoke and all the, oh my God. Oh, they knew what they were doing, those Italians. Designing that food. <laughs> what is your favorite form of movement? Any, any and all movement counts? I love swimming. I've always been a swimmer. I absolutely love how my body feels in the water. It's the best, totally all all round swimmerholic. Love it, love it, love it for pure pleasure, absolute joy. And yours is and yoga. Swim this year. I was gonna say yeah, yoga. Any, I I love movement. I've, I've got into running, but I'm actually learning to swim this year. And as someone who didn't swim as a kid, it was terrifying. <gasps> but I've, I've finally reached the point where I can enjoy oh, it and wow. not not panic. <laughs> Gosh, that you know, I take it completely for granted that I was taught how to swim as a as a little girl and. And I've always loved it. I was such a water baby from that day onwards. But you know how, gosh, how privileged am I to even know how to swim? And so that you actually learning that is just so cool. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, and running would be next on my list. But I actually my back um, has been sore for the last few years, and I'm only just starting to. I went for my first run in three years um, about a week ago, and I just did a few minutes on the treadmill, and it was glorious. I've missed it so much. So I'm just rehabbing my way back into running again it's magical i'm so glad you like that too 
and then what does the word nourished mean to you? I obviously label myself sort of nourished because of what it meant to me and the definition, but what if I was going to say to you the word nourished, what would you take it to mean? I love that word. <laughs> um, I Unfortunately, there's no, there's no easy answer for this one because I realized when I really thought about it, because it's such a beautiful word, that it felt like it's something that you know it when you feel it and it's in a cellular it's on a cellular level so the one thing i know for sure is that we're not we tend to think as food as nourishment which it is but i'm absolutely clear that food's one of the least important nutrients that we need for health and happiness and it's it's a big bundle of them and there's sort of seven that i think of so fresh air god there's nothing more glorious a deep breath of fresh air sunshine on your skin like oh you get that i get that feeling of nourished when i'm feeling sunshine on my skin not too much not too little <laughs> um food obviously exercise that's nourishing um especially when i'm having a wonderful swim social connection love like feeling loved i can have the worst diet in the world feel like absolute shit, but if somebody looks at me with love in their eyes oh my god there it is um gratitude can make me feel nourished so i think it's just that feeling of peace and or joy at a cellular level which sounds so cheesy but i guess that would be my definition but now i have to ask what's your definition well again it got me thinking i was like it's so difficult because i think i kind of relate in the terms of like it's everything and anything that you need and you, you feel it you feel that nourishment it's not just your food it's your social connection it's mm. movement it's emotional state it's that sense of purpose or belonging for people that are more mm, spiritually it's there's so many all-encompassing things that nourish you mentally emotionally not yeah. just food but you know when things no sometimes there's that sense of like like i know there's this sort of trend on instagram of like i like this little life there's like some audio going around and it's that sort of thing that sometimes you sit there and you're like i have everything exactly as i need it may not be perfect yeah. but i have a sense of purpose i have emotional nourishment i have connection i have other things mm. I love that, the sense of purpose. I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. That's the cherry on top, isn't it? And it's it can be fleeting nourishment, but it's so lovely when you catch it and then you just enjoy it when you feel and you know, oh, I'm there, I feel it. And it might be gone, you know, in an hour or the next day. But um, and I think maybe the work that I do, and I wonder if you agree, the and that I've done on myself and that I'll do with others, has brought that level of regularly feeling that feeling of nourishment just up and up and up. I always think of it like the stock market, you know, it's always going up, but it can be a bumpy ride <laughs> to the way to the top, but it's raising that bar. And I think I used to feel nourishment was such a fleeting thing, but especially when I was trapped in, in bulimia, it just felt like I was endlessly hungry and always seeking and never enough. And I feel now the work that I do, it's just always nudging that that foundation of nourishment and feeling that peace or that emotional, whatever, you know, that, that thing that we can't quite put our, our words to that nourishment is, is all of it. I love what you've just said. It's emotional, physical, mental, it's all of it, right? It's not just the one thing, purpose, all of it. Yeah. So it's a great word, but it's sort of an, you know, it when you feel it, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting one. And like you said, I think definitely, working in the space and, and working on that ability in myself I can tune in a bit more when I feel nourishment and mm. help cultivate that a bit more yeah I love that beautifully said so that leads us to our last question last one um what's one piece of advice you would give someone if they said look I want to improve my relationship to food what can I do today to start that off oh lordy I'm not prepared for this I should be <laughs> The one piece, if I could only do one, okay, if a gun to the head, only one piece of advice for, I would just say, take a moment, take a deep breath, tune into your tummy and just ask it, what does it want? What would it like to be really comfortable for the next few hours? If they can just keep doing that over and over again, they'll probably get 80% of the way there. It's a good start. that's it i could say about 20 other pieces of advice <laughs> but you know i think we covered a lot of them because my other thing that came to my mind there was it's going to take time go easy yeah. on yourself start slowly build 
be patient and don't give up. Yeah. The hard thing is not to be lured back into, if I could only be on that last diet, then all would be well. You know, it's, you kind of got to go all in on this and just keep plodding away, make a lot of mistakes, be willing to fail multiple times. And by fail, I mean, you think, you know, I'll never binge again. And then you do it that evening. No problem. Learn. Keep going. Don't give up. As long as that bar is raising, as long as you can feel that nourishment bar is just raising slowly, slowly, slowly. And it's like whack-a-mole. One day you're working the motion, then you're working the thinking, then you're working the bloody food, you know. But eventually the whole thing's just raising, raising. And you know because you feel it. So in many ways, maybe we have given all of the advice that we kind of need to. But just start. Well, I hope so. I know every time I record one of these, I sort of for the next hour, I'm like, I'm so buzzing with like energy <laughs> and just chatting to people and being on that same, same wave. Yeah. Yeah. And you think all the things you could have said or should have said that would have been more valuable or better or, you know, but here it is, you know, we're all messy human beings. <laughs> we're not, we're not perfect and we're doing our best. So if maybe this is the, the actual thing is I knew intuitively that I could trust my body. There was a piece of me that sort of, I didn't know it, but I felt it was possible. There's a whisper that says you can just let go and start to trust. And, and if, if somebody's got that whisper, what if, what if it was true that I could just listen to my hunger and I could stop when I was full and I'd be okay. Then I'd lean into that. It just starts with giving it a go. You start there and grow. Be patient. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Helen. Thank you for having me, Casey. I shall absolutely, uh, well, I don't know if I'll start a podcast, but I will absolutely, <laughs> uh, I'd love to have you on. Maybe we can just do like a YouTube video or something or, or something like that. And we'll just, I'd love to ask you about your journey and hear all about uh, what you've been through. And just to say thank you. Thank you for promoting intuitive eating and getting it out there and doing what you do. You know, we need more of this. So it's just so lovely to feel like we're not always just alone shouting into the void. <laughs> There's other people with the same mission, you know. Thank you so much. Um, I'll put all the like your links and everything. And when the book's out, I'll put that as well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's put some pressure on me that I needed. <laughs> 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 no it's good it's pro it's pretty much written i just you know it's like it's the it's like building a house it's the last things that always take the longest so we'll get there <laughs> awesome casey thank you so much thank you <laughs>